The Gospel lesson for this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. Listen for the word of God. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth, Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who have sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During this weekend in which our nation recognizes the inauguration of a new president, the Christian church around the world is in a season focusing on the beginnings of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Two Sundays ago, we remembered Jesus' baptism and focused on the meaning of this sacrament, particularly for infants. Last Sunday, we focused on another aspect of Jesus' beginning, as John the Baptist pointed to the Lamb of God who takes away or lifts up for inspection the sins of the world. Today we follow Jesus as he utters the first words of his ministry, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as he calls his first disciples with equally compelling words, Follow thou me. And in the next few weeks, we will be looking at the central and best-known aspect of Jesus' teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. Both the inauguration of the president and the beginning of Jesus' ministry remind us that beginnings, all beginnings, are important. Let us pray. Lord, in our beginnings and in our endings, in all we say and do, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. In the name of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The first thing we notice about the beginning of Jesus' ministry is that in Matthew's gospel, his ministry does not begin under the most congenial of circumstances. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, Matthew says, Jesus began to proclaim. 
A friend of mine writes, Jesus inaugurates his ministry by preaching the gospel. The gospel is not a reaction to the threat of Herod. Rather, the gospel is independent of, but not isolated from, the political circumstances of its day. It has its own internal coherence and hope. We live in a particular moment in our country where many are hopeful about a new administration under the leadership of a president who has come from outside politics, who is a person of action, who has promised to do things differently and to rule with a particular kind of strength and who enters office with the party he represents holding majorities in both houses of Congress. Others are uncomfortable, apprehensive, offended by his style, if not his policies. And still others are waiting to see what will happen, giving the new president a chance to lead and to govern. Christians of good conscience in our congregation and in our nation are found within each of these three groups of members and citizens and voters. In his monumental work, Christ and Culture, Richard Niebuhr wrote, it is an aberration of faith to absolutize the finite but the relative history of finite people, of you and me, is under the governance of an absolute God. When Jesus Christ begins his ministry, the Herod whose father had ordered the death of children had succeeded in arresting Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist. And he would later put John to death. But even then, Jesus' ministry is not a reaction against the power of Herod. His ministry has its own internal call. It has its own internal coherence. It has its own internal consistency. And it has its own internal hope. In Barbara Kingsolver's novel, Animal Dreams, a woman named Hallie is living in Nicaragua at the time of the Contra War. She writes her sister in the United States, you are thinking of revolution as a great all or nothing. I think of it as one more morning in a muggy cotton field, checking the undersides of the leaves to see what's there, figuring out what to do that won't clear a path for worse problems to come next week. Right now, that's what I do. Wars and elections are both too big and too small in the long run. She continues, the daily work that goes on, it all adds up. It goes into the ground, into crops into children's bellies and into their bright 
eyes. Good things never get lost. Jesus' ministry is independent of, but not isolated from, the political circumstances of his day, the daily work that goes on all adds up. While Jesus begins his ministry with a call to repentance, he does not utter those words right off the bat. Rather, as Matthew narrates, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. Before Jesus begins the work of his life, he withdraws for a period of retreat, of renewal, of sanctuary. Matthew not only tells us that Jesus withdraws, but he then walks us through a map of the place to which Jesus withdraws. He left Nazareth, made his home in Capernaum by the lake, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. When most of us hear these names, they are simply towns on a map for us. Yet the key phrase in this list of places is Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, Matthew's is the most Jewish of the Gospels. It is written for the Jewish community and it depicts Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, the fulfillment of the hopes and dreams of the people of Israel. When Matthew says that Jesus made his home in Capernaum, he is pointing out that Jesus decides to return to the region of his childhood home, even though that region is under Roman rule. Thus, Galilee of the Gentiles. While Jesus is returning home for retreat and sanctuary, the home to which he is returning is no less dangerous than the place in which John has been arrested. Yet it is precisely in this territory of danger that Matthew recalls God's promise to Isaiah. It was a promise that God had made to the people of Israel through Isaiah in an earlier dangerous period. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. In darkness, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, on them light has shined. Despite the fact that home is ruled by the Romans, Jesus returns home for renewal and retreat. For home is the place of sanctuary. Home is the place where he was reared. Home is the place from which he would set out and begin the work of his life. Home is the place on which God promises to shine light in the future as God has shined light in the past. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. On them, light has dawned. This is what Jesus receives in his sanctuary, in his 
home. Now, Matthew doesn't specify how long Jesus' retreat lasts, but it doesn't last forever. At some point, Jesus emerges from his sanctuary and his retreat and his renewal to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. As he walks by the Sea of Galilee, he sees two fishermen, Simon and Andrew, and he calls out to them from the shore, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, Matthew says, immediately, they leave their nets and follow. So do James and John. With their decision to follow, the narrative moves from its focus on Jesus to its focus on those who accept his call. The beginning of the ministry of Jesus is not just about Jesus. The beginning of the ministry of Jesus is about those who accept the call to follow. Now when we pay attention to this scene, we cannot help but join others who over the century wonder why these four fishermen follow immediately. How is it possible, we ask, that Simon and Andrew and James and John would leave their nets and their boats and their fishing business, and in the case of James and John, their father behind in order to follow this man who has simply come to the seashore and said, follow thou me. Were they already aware of Jesus? Had they heard the preaching of John the Baptist? Had they already made a decision to follow and this scene is just the implementation of that decision? Matthew doesn't give us answers to these questions. He just depicts them as following. As following. Immediately. Immediately. Many years ago, in a former church that I was serving, there was a young boy about seven or eight named Rob who was enough of a handful that adults around him, his Sunday school teachers, his scout leaders, his coach, put a lot of time and effort and thought and planning into how they were going to lead the group given Rob's personality. One of them once said, if Rob had any idea how much planning and attention adults give to Rob, it would be beyond the wildest dreams of his imagination. Now, my first Sunday at that church, I gave the children's sermon. And Rob came down for it. And the other children came and sat down. But Rob stood standing. Are you the new guy, he said. <laughs> yes, I'm the new guy. And then he folded his arms across his chest and he said, this is my church. <laughs> now a few years later, while I was still giving children's sermons, the passage for the day was our passage that we've got, the call of James and John and Peter and Andrew. 
And I asked the children, Rob was forward then, and he was sitting down among all the rest, and I asked them, why do you think Peter and Andrew and James and John left their fishing boats behind to follow Jesus? The response was what the response usually is when I ask a question in a children's sermon. That's why they don't allow me to give them here very often, (laughs) rightly so. But then from the back of the kids gathered and seated in front of me, Rob raised his hand and he said, almost in a whisper, in order to follow Jesus. You have to leave something behind. Nets. Boat. Business interests. Sometimes even family. In order to follow Jesus, you have to leave something behind. Amen.